on Seattle Sports Station. Well, we're going to excuse you from the interview. It doesn't really work that way, Sherm. This but, is a show that has my name on it. It kind of does, though. Brought to you by Carter Volkswagen in Ballard. Now, here are your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Saul. Hello! Yeah, a lot of reaction to Super Bowl yesterday. It really was a really good game for 58-plus minutes. Last two minutes were just pathetic, but whatever. Can I, get, can I just get something off my chest? Yeah. That field sucks. Yeah, it's terrible. It was in takeaways. Oh, okay. All right. Don't you think? Yeah, let's do that. It's coming takeaways. up in a half hour. We got All takeaways right. at 830. That definitely goes right into takeaways, and I saw you complaining about it yesterday. I'm right there with you. Um, I got to know this, though, Brock, because we've spent a lot of our time Talking about the Eagles' defensive line, their front seven, how dominant they are, mm. how that's the key to beating these teams, how that's what allowed the Bucks to win a Super Bowl and the yep. Giants to beat the Patriots and this, that, and the other. We've and the Seahawks to beat the Broncos. And absolutely. And the Buccaneers to beat the Raiders and the Giants to beat the Patriots. And that simple equation, right? When four beats five. So what happened yesterday? Because that was the best defensive line in the league. We talk, I mean, we know all- uh, an all-pro in the interior because they did get rush. I mean, you saw it a number of times. As I said, yesterday I got to watch that game with a former NFL offensive tackle, former NFL offensive guard, former NFL defense tackle, and the tackle's like, whew, and the guard. We're both like, whew, good thing Mahomes getting that ball out. Good thing Mahomes getting that ball out because those edges were getting compressed. But Mahomes was able to do what? Continually throughout that game, step up. Step up into the fire. Right, They actually, Hassan Reddick and crew, actually got pretty decent push. They squeezed that pocket, but Mahomes could step up and two or three times made completions, two or three times scrambled. And then you throw in run game, and then you throw in diverse run game, and then you throw in screen game, and guess what you do to a defense? You don't let them dictate. You don't just sit in the shotgun and go, yeah, okay, we're going to do this. Yeah, You don't just sit back there with an arrogance that we can block Hassan Reddick with a backup tight end. No, we can't. You know, they, they, and Andy Reid, the former O-line guy, showed up yesterday. Hmm. Like, Andy Reid, the O-line coach, and I've talked about this before, I think, over the years. Most head coaches, well, let's, let's strip it back further. Most baseball managers are former what? Catchers. Just former catchers, right? They see the entirety of the game. A lot of broadcasters are former quarterbacks. You kind of just see the entirety of the game. A lot of NFL head coaches, and, and frankly, Two or three of the best coaches in all of football right now, and Belichick and Saban and you know Coach Carroll's pretty good coach are all secondary guys. See, well, Belichick's a little bit of everything, but they just see the totality of the game. Not many former O line coaches become coordinators and become head coaches, but the elite ones are great. Like if you can do that and you can get outside because those O line coaches, Mike, <laughs> and we were joking about them last night in our meeting. Some of, some of the world they live in. How about this? <laughs> <laughs> I can't mention names here, but this was this was brought up last night. For, former O-line coach for the Seahawks who told another coach that was living with them, hey, listen, we don't shower at the house. We we shower at the locker room. Okay, so I don't, like, you can live, you know, with me during the offseason or whatever, but you're not going to shower at the house. You're going to shower at the team facility. Just kind of like in their own little world, man. In their own little, they see, like, these five guys, and they see the game, like, right there. And just, like, there's not a broad, I know, kind of weird. Why don't they shower? I'm sorry, you're going to have to explain. Why don't they shower at the house? Oh, I, I think most people do. But this former O-line coach was just kind of a different bird. I mean, they're, a lot of them are pretty different birds. They live in just a, their own little space, their okay. own controllable little space, their own controllable little chaos. Feels like living in your own space would mean showering at your own house, <laughs> not showering at the public uh Well, the know, O-line showers. coach showered at his own house, but the, co- the assistant oh. that was living with them, 
Yeah, we're going to uh, shower. You don't get to shower at my house is basically what he's saying. Pretty much what he said to him. Ah, well, that's yeah, weird. Pretty much what you he said You can come live at my house, but you can't use my shower. That's pretty much what he did. Yep. That's huh. pretty, yes. That's weird. Uh, very weird. Right. And, and a lot of them, very weird. Because they kind of live in their own little dark space, their own little isolation chamber where they just try not to screw everything up. Just try to protect. Don't mess it up. You know, and that's how a lot of them, unfortunately, in my life experience have lived. The elite ones like Andy Reid, who get the bigger picture, become elite coaches. And Andy Reid has done that. So let's come back to the let's come back to the the question at hand, though. Yes. You know, does that game or anything about it convince you or change any of your view on what the Seahawks need to focus their time and energy on? Nope. Nope. Because you get to that stage, because you sack the quarterback 72 times, because you don't face many Mahomes and Andy Reeds. You know, this, this league is not full of that combination at the top. You know, like in some ways it had been some years ago. You had Sean Payton and Drew Brees. You had Peyton Manning and, and Tony Dungy. You had uh, Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. You had a marriage of a franchise quarterback in a system that he had been in for a long time. How many of those exist? How many Mahomes and Reeds are there in the league right mm-hmm. now? Not many. I mean, there, there really are not very many, are there? I mean, no, even, but it, even but, Russell and Pete, right? No, but I mean, the last couple of years, the team, you know, with great, great offense, has been the team to win the Super Bowl. I mean, you know, yep. Other the Brady year is 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 different, obviously. But last year it was the the Rams. Yes, they had a very good defense, but their offense was their calling card. Mm-hmm. This year, once again, you know, Chiefs have a good defense. I'm not taking anything away from them, but they didn't stop the Eagles much yesterday. Nope. It was their it was their offense and and special teams that ultimately carried the day, plus the officials. So yeah, I mean, I I. I as much as I agree with you, and I kind of am going to keep pushing the same button and saying, yeah, defense, 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 and that's what Pete wants, and that's how his his worldview is centered. You know, you also got to recognize what's going on in the world and that's what right. happens in these games that's and right. say, you know what, a dominant offense is certainly a way to win in the NFL now more so than even 10, 15 years ago. Yeah, and it is why, Mike, you picked number 20. If all of a sudden in this draft, which is a couple months away and we'll continue to build too, and I'm looking forward to the to the months ahead to talk about a lot of these young men. Mike, it is why if there is a run on defensive edge rushers, and this is that is the deepest position in this draft, and corners, mm-hmm. those two are the deepest positions. It is why if you're sitting there at 20 and, and there is an elite, elite game-changing wide receiver yeah, on the Yeah, I board, like that idea. That's why I kind of like am I Am I like against it going, oh, no, no, no. Oh, no, you got to get two D linemen. Oh, they, we got excited get, no. about Jackson Smith and Jigba last week at, at 20. Like, that would intrigue me. You've got to get the biggest difference makers. The teams with the biggest difference makers. And the Chiefs got six all pros. And the Eagles got six all pros. And they come in different shapes and sizes and different positions. But the more stars you have and the more guys that are just different than the guy next to them, mm-hmm. you know, and that's Is where that- – is that what the, you would say about the Chiefs wide receivers, though? I mean, they don't have that many difference makers. I mean, like, Pacheco's a good running back, and Tony's fine, and, you know, Smith-Schuster's a good good wide receiver, but they don't, they're don't. they not full of difference makers on the outside. Kelsey, obviously, is one, and Patrick Mahomes and some of the guys in their, on their offensive line, but it's interesting. They're not, they're not as laden with stars as they used to be. Especially in the perimeter, and they move on from Tyreek Hill, right? And that was right. that was certainly some of the commentary again yesterday and leading up into last season. Well, yeah, here you go. 
Here's what happens. You pay your franchise guy. Everything else gets diminished around him. Well, hold on a second. Those franchise guys can elevate pedestrian wide receivers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they can, and he can make them pretty good. But you know what? They still got some unique stuff. Tony was still a first-round pick. They still have Pacheco ran 4-3-8. Like, you've got to be unique. You've got to have some skill set. You can't be a 4-6 wide receiver that just has an average skill set. you gotta, you got to be a little Was that, uh, was that C.J. Gardner-Johnson hit on Pacheco, the hardest hit you seen all year that was i think it's the hardest hit i've seen all year <sighs> legit i don't think i've seen one hit in the nfl which doesn't hit as much as it used to as hard as that one all that year. was cam chancellor yes he drilled him right in the chest it was awesome that yes. was my favorite moment of the game by far it was the one thing that got me to jump off my couch like oh like i thought that was that was great i still yeah. i miss that man yep i know why the nfl's done what it's done and i'm not even necessarily complaining about it I just miss it. Yep. Those big hits that you used to get so much more often was such a big part of why this league yep. was special. It's a shame that you just don't get it anymore. All right. Uh, speaking of uh, your offensive line coach and his shower is very different from Russell's house where you do get a private <laughs> shower or two. Unfortunately, you also have to sleep in the bedroom. So thank you to the 209 for pointing that out. All right. We got everything you need to know. We got takeaways from the game. Rihanna commercials, specific uh, judgments on the field and everything else. It's coming up. Brock and Salt, Seattle Sports on 710 and seattlesports.com. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. Well, despite all of the doubters everywhere who all thought that the Chiefs were going to go 0-17 this year, they somehow managed to beat the doubters. Man, one of y'all said the Chiefs were going to take it home this year. Not a single one. Feel that. Feel it, and on top of that, next time the Chiefs say something, put some respect on our name. Yeah, no one thought they could do it, and then they did. Nice job, Travis Kelsey and the Kansas City Chiefs. They uh, wrap up their second Super Bowl in the last, what, six years, whatever it is. Congratulations to them. Uh, They did play a fantastic second half. Their offense was darn near perfect, but I'm sorry. The whole thing just gets a little overshadowed by what I thought was a very unnecessary holding call uh, on that final drive of the game. It it unfortunately stole from all of us as fans what could have been a really tremendous ending, and instead it was a big letdown. I think offensive coaches all around the country enjoyed that game thoroughly. I I think there are a bunch of them that could go back and look at some of those schemes and some of those plays and some of the things that both groups did, and they did it differently. I mean, Philadelphia unapologetically just a a battering ram at the line of scrimmage. That QB sneak is unstoppable. Uh, With Jalen Hurts and all of his strength and all of his power and everything else, and what were they, 11 for 18 on third down, 2 for 2 on fourth down. The Chiefs were good in that way as well. The ball went up and down the field. There were points galore. Yeah, and ultimately, unfortunately, really, unfortunately, I get it. Unfortunately, a huge call was made in the final minutes that absolutely will be remembered for a long time in both of those markets. Well, maybe in Philly longer than Kansas City. (laughs) And Mahomes joins Joe Montana and Tom Brady, the only QBs ever in league history with two regular season MVPs plus and two Super Bowl MVPs. Congratulations to him and to the Chiefs. On the other side of it, Jalen Hurts, unsurprisingly, incredibly mature and thoughtful after the game. You either either win or you learn. That's how I feel. You either win or you learn. So, you know, as always, win, lose, or draw, I always reflect on the things that I could have done better, uh, things we could have done better. To try and take um take that next step and 
that, that, that'll that'll be the same process that goes on now. One of my favorite players in the league, man. I, I really root for that kid to win. I don't really care much about Philly, but I like Jalen Hurts. Bummer to see him lose yesterday. Here's the second thing you need to know. Well, offseason now underway, and Derek Carr might have had a good meeting in New Orleans, or so it sounded, but he's not going there, at least not yet. He's saying, don't trade me. I'm not waving my no-trade clause for anybody, and so the Raiders, in all likelihood, will release him as soon as possibly today. Uh, And that'll start to set a market, right? If he is on the market and available, and Aaron Rodgers, apparently the uh, Jets are asking the Packers for permission and wondering whether or not he's available. And so, you know, the quarterback movement is starting, as we pointed out earlier. No one's really mentioning Geno Smith in this mm-hmm. at all. How come? Yeah, I, I don't know. I think maybe there's an assumption around the league that the most people we've talked to on a national level, Salk, say the same thing. Ah, ultimately, they're going to get a deal done mm-hmm. because ultimately the Seahawks take care of their own. Those that have performed and have earned that opportunity and more importantly, but they believe can continue to play at that level. Guess what they get done? They get deals done with them. Uh, and that has been, you know, kind of the track record over the years. I'll say this as well. Russell Wilson had an opportunity to respond during the Super Bowl during this weekend. He responded, but not in a way that I think many people thought he should. Took very little ownership of any of the tax records or anything and just said, basically what? You know, I'm not into the attention or the or the fame or who deserves the credit. We just raised a bunch of money and it still leaves us a lot, leaves a lot of questions um, unanswered and remaining. Mm. Here's the third thing you need to know. It was a great golf tournament over the weekend as well, leading right into the Super Bowl. I love the way they set that up. I mean, it's cool when they both happen to be in the same city, but just in general, this sort of party environment of the Phoenix Open leading right into everything that the Super Bowl is all about. I thought it was great and really enjoyed the golf this weekend. It's a perfect course for it. Uh, everybody has fun with it. And congratulations to Scotty Scheffler, who becomes uh, the second consecutive winner there. He's won two in a row. Uh, it was a great leaderboard, though, all day yesterday with John Rahm there and Jason Day back in contention, which was cool to see. Jordan Spieth in the top five or six all day long as well. That was that was really the way golf is supposed to be. And when you see that, it's like, yeah, sorry, Liv, guys. Don't really miss you at all. The sport is perfectly capable of moving on without you. And oh, by the way, Tiger's going to play next week at Riviera. Yeah, pretty cool uh, weekend overall. And things will calm down for a little bit. Baseball will crank up in just a few weeks. But yesterday with the Kraken playing in the morning, phenomenal game that they had to have, really, after losing three in a row on the road. Had to find a way to win in Philly. They did. Benier sacrifices a little bit of his body on a shot late. We'll see and hope that he is okay, that that was just a contusion. Combine that with the golf starting early. So it, too, ended before kickoff. Just a uh, sports fan's dream yesterday. Pretty darn cool. All right, there you go. That is... Everything you need to know, uh, we do that quarter past every hour. Yeah, see, I was watching sports leading into the game, not the stupid pregame show. So I uh-huh. don't tell me I don't like sports. I appreciate They're that. watching sports leading into the game. Were you surprised Russell did not address things further? Yeah, I have this sort of in my notes uh, okay. today. I don't know whether we have enough time to dig, dig into it right now. Okay. Um, no, I was not surprised. I don't... Yeah. I. I, I, I it's so I don't, funny I don't think for he has that muscle for a guy who preaches accountability and preaches his ability to to you know sort of handle everything and and, and be accountable to it. Right. 
that's not his reputation among the people that were around him in Seattle. I'm trying to, I'm trying to remember what Schlereth said this year. Uh, he had a term for it, that Russell needs someone on his team, just like someone that can read the room, mm-hmm. just a, a, a read the rumor. You know, just, just hey, hey, man, this this is the sense around you. Not not that you sit there and buy into, you know, the social media negativity or that you've got to respond to all of it, but here's the tone and tenor of, of consensus going on around you. When you do high knees on a plane, you look like an idiot. Mm-hmm. And there's just nobody to tell him that. I don't think there's anybody on his team and, and, and that surrounds him that says, hey, man, you know, it, it's time to respond. Hey, man, it's time to not sell your three gear, you know, the day after another brutal loss. Right. Hey, man, it, you know, just a, just no, somebody. I, I think that's true. The read the room element is missing. But the other part of it is the accountability. And, you know, for for years we heard those rumblings. Why don't they hold Russ accountable? Why don't they hold Russ accountable? Mm. And the obvious answer is, well, because he can't handle it as well as others do. And then last year when Pete tried to hold him accountable publicly a couple of times, he bristled and said, oh, no, I've done this plenty of times and that's worked out for me. And I don't know what he's talking about. Right. So he has not handled public criticism very well. And now this comes out. And rather than doing what I think he needed to do, fire his agent and take accountability for it and say we screwed up and we're going to do better, et cetera. Instead, he gave this lame, vague, pathetic, like, uh, I'm not even sure really how to describe it. It was, he didn't say anything. He rambled fairly, you know, he rambled for a minute on nothing. I got the sound. I don't have time to play it for you now. We'll do it at nine o'clock. But I I, I heard it and was just like, that's just not how you do this. And I tell you, it's going to get worse for him before it gets better. And I'll tell you why at nine o'clock. We got a full slate of takeaways. I want to make sure we have time for all of them next. It is Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710, salesports.com. This this is Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines studio. Back in mornings from six to 10. On Seattle Sports Station. Good text from Brandon in Sacramento, Brock. He says, Russ just needs a Roomba, a little robot that follows him around and kicks him in the shins whenever he's being tone deaf instead of cleaning his 12 bathrooms. <laughs> that was good, Brandon. That's nice. I like that. Uh, all right. Big game yesterday, of course. Uh, everybody watching in the country. And uh, we've got a lot of takeaways from it. So let's get right to them. Takeaways. Well, before I get to the game yesterday, let me give you a little takeaway. I have an email that just came to me a few minutes ago. You got that little text toy you enjoy reading. Is it from Betsy? This email is not from Miss Betsy. Nope. It's not from Pringles. I'm waiting for Pringles to email all of us, but no. Oh, yeah. Can you hook me up with an endorsement? You know what? We'll do some talking. (laughs) No, this, uh, this email comes from a friend of mine who sent me the odds for next year's Super Bowl winner. Okay. Kansas City Chiefs, number one, yeah. five to one. Always. Philadelphia, number two, seven to one. Always. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I thought we were counting out the Chiefs. I thought everybody was counting nope. them out. Yeah, they're counted out. Nope. Yeah. Oh. Let's let's work down this line here. So that's one and two. Buffalo, San Fran, Cincy. Okay, three, four, five. Dallas, six. Chargers, seven. Ravens, eight. Broncos, what? Twenty-five to one. Come on, nine. Jags. 10. Raiders. 11. Jets. 12. Jets. 13. Dolphins. 14. Lions. 15. Packers. 16. Rams. 17. Saints. 18. Saints. Saints. 33 to 1. 18. 
Cleveland Browns. 19 Cleveland Browns. 40 to 1. Surely you jest. I do not. Okay. Giants. 20. Patriots. 21. Steelers. 22. Buccaneers. 23. Falcons. 24. Falcons? 55 to 1. 24. And then you get to your Seattle Seahawks. 25. At 66 to 1 odds. Pretty good odds. Tied with the Titans. Only teams behind them, the Bears, Commanders, Colts, Cardinals, and Texans, Michael. Wow. Doesn't sound like all that different 20, from the beginning of last year. Not a lot of respect. 20, <laughs> their name. 26 wow. in the league today. 66 to 1 odds. Wow. Today. Good odds. Go, go. Somebody get to Vegas. Wow. Get to Snoqualmie Casino. Go that do what you got to do. You want to talk about no respect on your name. Yeah, that's terrible. Gino. No respect on your name, wow. Pete. Right. 66 to 1 odds. 26 in the league right now. That's great. Not a takeaway, but great. I, I'm surprised you, you know, wow. had to blurt that out. Couldn't hold on for a few minutes. So we'll get back to our next takeaway. Takeaways. Kind of amazing to me what penalties and negative plays do to even good offenses. And we've seen it here in Seattle for the last few years, right? When those negative plays would just take them out of anything. And yeah, there were a couple of conversions. Certainly the throw to Dallas Goddard on, what was it, third and 14, 16? That was unbelievable. Great throw, great catch. I thought the refs got that one right, by the way. But at times it just seemed like the only thing that could take either of those two offenses off the field was a mistake that led to them being behind the sticks, right? Holding call, offside, whatever it might be. Something that just gets them out of their rhythm and forces them to do something outside the norm. The NFL game has made it fairly easy on offenses and to get 10 yards and four plays, especially with the modern way of using that fourth down. It's just not, it's not that it's not hard, but it's not as hard as it used to be, but no, you get I into think, first yeah. and 20, yep. you get into second and 15, all of a sudden it becomes so much harder. Yes. Because that team speed then defensively can rally and both those defenses were fast man. Yeah, and they both, closed windows you thought like wow there, there comes a big oh not a big play you know no the big plays came from missed tackles right when the chiefs missed two or three tackles and the eagles got out but by and large there were human beings around everybody and it took some superhuman effort to break those tackles and you nail it right there salk i mean anytime philadelphia got to like third and five you're like okay well they just gained three yards and then mm-hmm. go run the snake you can't mm-hmm. stop them I mean, it's like a, absolutely, it's like a battering ram knocking down the door of the castle. There's nothing you're going to do. Eventually, they're going to move the pile. So, yeah, kudos to Philly understanding who they are, knowing they have four downs to get 30 feet. And as long as they don't go backwards with penalties, you're right. They're going to get that first down more often than not. Takeaways. Okay, I said this to you earlier. I, I love this line from a defensive coordinator this, this last season. When he said to me, oh, Brock, there's always information in the formation. There's always, and the best, and and this guy happened to coach Richard Sherman at Stanford, and he said, even in Richard's one year, you quickly started to ascertain that he processes information faster than everybody else. Mm -hmm. So yesterday, if if you know that, if your formations give give defenses tells and they give them information, then you know what you got to do? You got to use it as disinformation. And that's what Andy Reid did so spectacularly in the second half, right? You, you watch those two red zone touchdowns and you're like, how is that possible? 
how in this day and age and how amongst grown professionals and some of the best athletes in the world, how down there in the red zone when the field condenses, can you be that wide open? How? How? As Jason Benetti likes to make fun of me. Why? How? Because they use that information that, hey, we're going to motion down. And when we motion down, what do, what do these guys do? 99% of the time, what do they do? They're going to come across the field and they're going to run all of their shallow crosses and all of that chaos. And we're going to pass it off and we're going to be in position to pass that off. So they motioned down and guess what they did not do? They faked and they went and took two steps like they're going to cross the field. The whole defense flies with them, whips right back out. And there he is wide open. Mm. And then the real genius, Mike, and this is the key for uh, play callers at any level. This is the key for catchers at any level is to not go away from what works. Oh, well, we got them one time. We're not going to get them a second time. Well, we got them the one time. They, you know, We got them. That was awesome. We used the information and disinformation, but certainly they're not going to bite the second time. No, flip the formation and run the exact same concept the other way. And if it worked the first time, make them show us and make them prove to us that they can stop it. And you know what? It worked. What happened the second time? It worked again. <laughs> And they ran the same concept, the same formation. They tightened their motion down, and here it comes. Here, it comes. oh, wow, he's wide open once again. Two gimmies, so, as easy as it could get. You could complete that pass. I could complete that pass. On those gimmies, yes. I mean, obviously, that that. Do you think those were put in specifically because of something they saw in the Philly defense, where they run too far in motion with somebody or something like that? Because those are put in very specifically. Because you bust your tendencies. Hmm. Because those Philly corners right. and Slay and Bradbury are savvy and they're smart and they're going to know the information and they're going to know what's coming and here it comes. We're going to tighten down. We're going to run all these crossers and those guys are going to pass them off and they're going to be in a position yeah. to not overrun Salk and they're going to wait there with their eyes and then we're going to catch them. The paint's going to dry. The paint's going to dry and we're going to catch them and they did that exactly that twice, two of the bigger plays of the game. Hopefully Bruce Arians' paint's dried. I don't drinking any of that stuff. Takeaways. All right, you want to talk through the commercials? Sure. A lot of nostalgia, right? They was throwback to old movies, Clueless and Caddyshack and Sylvester Stallone hanging off the, you know, the, the rock, the rock or whatever that was. Zoolander throwback. I mean, that was those were all good. Like, it's hard to miss with those, right? Like, they're generally not going to be the most memorable, but it's hard to miss throwing it back 20, 25 years or whatever, because you're always going to get a nostalgia benefit. Uh, I can tell you that my 11-year-old daughter was most excited about Nick Jonas's commercial. That wasn't even close. Um, the farmer's dog, though, is the one I wanted to focus on for a moment. So that was the uh, the chocolate lab that they had as a puppy, and it got older, right? And then you see the old dog kind of sitting and on the bed. The family and a baby, and yeah. And that was nice. It really was very sweet, and I love dogs. I was kind of hoping, though, they would show what it's actually like living with a senior dog. <laughs> I was sort of hoping that there was going to be poop everywhere. Oh, I was sort of hoping mm, that you were going to have to wake up in the no. middle of the night and take mm. that poor dog outside because mm. it's groaning lying next to you. I was don't, sort of hoping they were going to show swear. him putting a diaper on that dog as well. But they didn't show any of that. So they did not in any way give the reality of what it's like living with a senior dog. Mm. They didn't show the Jeez. family too tired to go to work yep. the next day because they'd been up uh-huh. most of the night. Uh-huh. My family had a senior dog that passed away, and but like we didn't have to do diapers. Not everybody has no. the same experience no. as you do. Oh, projecting no. your experience on everybody else. <laughs> Sorry. I feel bad for Wendell, but many, many times dogs take on the nature of their owners. <laughs> <laughs> Are you saying that about Heather? That's yeah, not very nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jeez, yeah, yeah. the way you would attack my wife like that, I sure she wouldn't appreciate that. Take the bull by the hands, absolutely not. Uh, dogs are a big part of it. There's no question. People love dogs. The they do. 
They do. And there I've were a bunch of Frenchies. There were multiple Frenchies out yep. there. There was, uh, what's his name, Gut, Gutfield, who's going to do the new Fox News show. He had his mm-hmm. Frenchie with him. And then mm-hmm. uh, Miles, Teller. Miles Teller had his own personal Frenchie yeah. and his wife in his ad with him Star. for Bud Light. I kind of like Bush Light. not going to lie to you. Kinda that was like good. Uh, yeah, yeah. kind of like the Bush Light one. I like that. Yeah. yeah. Right, ben Affleck was good. Ben Affleck was good. The Sam yeah. Adams Boston one was for sure. That seems to be the number one. It's so funny. Warren and I both missed it. We just watched it a minute ago. That was funny. Yeah, just watch it. I like that one. Takeaways. All right, you want to do the halftime show next, or you want to? Sure. What'd you think? Do you like it? The, the uh, platforms were amazing. That was pretty cool. That was amazing. The stage that high in the air. That was in, in multiple platforms like that. It looked like Super Mario Brothers back in the day. Yeah. Like just you know, you're going up to the clouds and everything else. And and I was thinking about the wires, right? So many of those wires, and you also have. Two Skycam wires. Like, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on there. Yeah. Uh, so that was pretty cool. I was thinking if that was my son or daughter as a backup dancer and you're so excited and you've told grandma and grandpa and aunt and uncle and everybody, like, uh, you won't believe it. Haley's going to be a backup dancer. She's going to be right there by Rihanna. Uh, yep, you have no idea. There, you, you couldn't differentiate any <laughs> of the dancers whatsoever. So that, that came to mind. Lastly, can I just be old man? Because that's what you expect from me. Yeah. Do we need all the crotch grabs? Do we, yeah, I mean, have to. I mean, Michael Jackson did it like 40 years ago. And do we really need that? <laughs> do we really need the crotch grabs? Can, 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 can we ever get beyond that? Can we just be done with that? Because the rest of the moves are amazing. They're amazing athletes and dancers. I just don't understand the fascination with the crotch grabs. Well, I think you understand exactly what the fascination I is. Just, You're just not necessarily just, in favor of it. Just enough. Just <laughs> enough. I thought Rihanna was good. I, I, You know, look, I'm not... She, I'm not like a huge Rihanna fan necessarily. I don't love her. I don't hate her. I think she's fine. I think she's. Did a good you know pop immediately singer. she was pregnant? Did that did conversation not, no. start in your house? No. No. Didn't even Maura, think about Justin? it. Justin. Well, the poor went and Betsy was sick. Yeah, so Justin barely was. Not, not the question. I I can't ask that question. It definitely popped up amongst all the uh, husbands and wives in our place. Like, hmm. huh? I wonder if she's that outfit. I wonder if she's pregnant again. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was on a text thread. Where we, we googled right away. immediately, and it was like, yes, yeah, this is her announcement. We're like, okay. Whew. Yep. Yeah, good for her, by the way. That going that going that high in the air and everything else while pregnant. Like, I thought she did a great job. I don't mind that she's lip syncing. I know there's a lot of music fans that get very upset about that. I'm not one of them. I think it was a mix. There was definitely times she was really yeah. Okay, too. but like that back, doesn't bother me track. in general. Especially when you've got a pop singer who's dancing and stuff. Like, yeah, that's part of it. Like, I, I don't I don't need I'll them to I also liked. be able to sing those things live. I'll tell you what I liked, and there were a lot of prop bets that got this all wrong. Her hair? I liked, I, I liked it. It was just her. I oh, like yeah. that there was no other, you know, it, it, mostly Super Bowls over the years here recently, especially, it feels like, oh, here comes another act. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, here I comes kept Snoop, here comes Eminem. Carlos comes, Santana or right, Jay-Z or, or Jay-Z or somebody's going to pop in. They were in the building. Plenty of them were in the building. But nope, it was just kind of her show. So you don't like you that. don't include Nuno Betancourt playing guitar for her, former guitarist for Extreme? I, I yeah. That doesn't count as somebody didn't else showing up. No, I, mean, I, no, didn't move I don't know how many people knew Nuno Betancourt oh, out well, there. that's, you know, more was than words. Was that Unieski's uncle? That's, you know, more than words, <laughs> wholehearted, get the funk that out. I nerds out about knowing, like, every musician right. and all their album names, and he tells yes. me, more. that's just guys, that's, that's just men. And I'm oh. like, oh, yeah, because I've never you been did, around You men. didn't own Extreme 2 porno graffiti? On cassette? Of course. Did you get it from the BMG Music? <laughs> Three sides to every story? Uh, for a penny? Uh, they were from the town over for I'm me. I'm disappointed I can't you didn't give me more credit for that Unieski Ben. That's, that's good. That's, nice that's job. That was Next. solid. That was solid. Next. Takeaways. We're going to do Unieski's ranked later today. It's going to be a hell of a segment. Oh, is this mine? 
Uh, All right, so let's go through the officials and the officiating in the game. Because there were essentially four plays or four calls that were controversial in some way. First, the catch before halftime. Did you think that was a catch? No, I thought the ball moved and hit the ground. I thought it was a catch at first. I think on on yep. second, third viewing, yes. maybe not. Thank yep. God too, because twenty it would have could have been twenty eight fourteen at the half, and I don't know, might have that might have been too much for them to overcome. Who knows? You had the fumble that was ruled incomplete. That was on the hit. Yeah, that was I, incomplete. They got the right call, time. right? Yep. Uh, so now you're two for two. Yep. Uh, the Dallas Goddard catch. What do you think of that? Catch. Yeah, his left foot was down yep. in enough time where he gained it gained control. So yep, I'm good with that. So so same here. I was yeah. really good with all three of those calls. So I'm not sitting here saying officiating is the worst thing in the world and Goodell the word this and that and the other. I just. I don't, I don't think you can call that defensive holding in that spot. No. I would rather have it be a missed call than a than a unnecessary call, if that makes sense. Yep. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, in one, in one of those ways. And they just, it, it was helpful for me in my life experience to officiate a game. It was a spring game, but it was a, a Georgia spring game, and we legitimately got to put the uniforms on. I got to be a headlinesman. We sat in for like three hours the night before, tried to learn some of the basics. We got to watch and, and like mirror the actual great officials for a quarter. And then we got the second quarter. And it was a great experience because two things jumped out. I had no idea that each official basically has a little quadrant of the field. And it's not what you always think common sense is. Oh, it's just right in front. No, no like the headlines is looking down the line. And, and then if there's a formation, it kind of shifts. But... So you, they just see these little pieces of the pie each and every play. And then, mm-hmm. you know, we got to halftime, and the, and the regular fish were like, wow, what do you guys think? And I was like, I have no idea what's happening in the game. <laughs> like, what happened in the game? Do you guys pay attention? Do you? And they're like, nope. Rocket's the number one thing. Like, after a game, our friends or family will call and be like, I can't believe. But they also and, know there's a couple minutes left in the game. That's they the know question. they're late in the game. They know it's the fourth quarter. They know they're at the 10-yard line or 15 or whatever. And I'm not saying that 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 should never ever be a hold. I'm not saying that it always has to be different at the end of yep. games. Yep. But with less than two minutes in a Super Bowl, yep. and that play to me, that is too ticky tack in order to call it there. And I generally am not a ref blamer. I was not mad about the call out of bounds, the late hit last week or whatever. Like I don't yep. get too upset about the refs, right? Except in a moment like that because they stole the game from everybody, and that just. It's just an. Un- I'm not saying they're biased. I just don't like the call. And I think you said this appropriately. Like this is not the script. People think this is rigged, and no. this was the script. And they don't want this. They don't want this kind of negativity. They don't want any of that to. And they would. They would have loved to have seen a better game at the end. What was just a phenomenal game. I would have loved one more situation. It just petered out. Yeah. It's just a sad way for a great game to end. Takeaways. Hey, uh, young quarterbacks out there. Patrick Mahomes was teaching tapes for how you face an elite front and what you do and what you do not do. You do not escape left and right because they will chase you down. And this is one of those circumstances where actually I think his injury in some ways helped him. And he said afterwards, one of the learning lessons from the last Super Bowl loss was trying to be Superman. Right on every single one of those 60 plays. He didn't even get that many plays yesterday because... Well, the punt return and the scoop and score and everything else. He had just eight possessions. 
But this is honestly where I think his injury played a little bit of a role in that, hey, man, you're not going to go scramble and you're not going to throw and you're not going to whirly derby and you're not going to be a wizard. Like you're going to be a little bit Mm -hmm. more of a blacksmith and you're going to step up into the pocket. And that was so critical yesterday to have the courage and the conviction, Mike, to, to you know, because there was rush. And many times that rush was on him. But he just stepped up, and there's Kelsey on the shoe step on the shoestrings. And he stepped up, and there's a throw. And he mm-hmm. stepped up. Oh, and there's a lane for me to actually run. And and that's how, like, like a, running in slow motion, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, and he was even saying afterwards, like, <laughs> number seven was catching me. Like, I was, you know, <laughs> running for my life right there. <laughs> but you remember when we went and watched Gonzaga play? And uh, it was so fun in, the, in their arena. And for so many years, their point guards, when you watch Gonzaga in transition, guess what their point guards do? They don't go to the side. They go right down the middle. I bet their practice, their practice court's got lanes in it, right? Because I've seen it on college basketball courts. Hmm. And it's like, nope, nope, you, you cut right down the middle, man. You do not even mess around with that real estate. And Mahomes yesterday, hmm. partly because of the ankle, partly because of that defense you're facing, do not give them an opportunity to sack you. Do not give negative plays. You step up in the pocket, you throw it away, you step up, and they get you for a one-yard loss, fine. We can live with that. Uh, he was teaching tape on how to handle an elite front yesterday. Takeaways. Guy, what's the deal with the field? Well, what's the deal? How can field conditions be that bad? They spent $800,000 on it. They bragged about all the stuff they did. How can they give Arizona another Super Bowl before Chambers Bay gets another major? Yeah, well, and I'm sure the Richard Shermans of the world, right? Remember that Thursday night game? Oh, yeah. I mean, how many Achilles, how many knees, how many injuries on that field? For whatever reason, you know, maybe it's just old Mother Nature herself saying, sorry, sorry, your technology's wrong. You roll it out on railroad, like a railroad train, and it sits in the natural sunshine, and then you roll it in, and guess what happens? There's like this condensation. You roll it into air conditioning, and it just doesn't it doesn't work. You know, I, I've heard, and actually one of the guys played, you know, but all those guys yesterday that I was with all played on it, and they're like, yeah, man, it just feels thin. It feels mm-hmm. hollow, right? It's, it's on skates, and you play like you're on skates. So put field turf. Just, just end it. You know, Chicago should have field turf. Pittsburgh on the river should have field turf. That stadium should have field Isn't turf. Isn't there a lot of frustration with field turf, though, and the injuries that come P- from field P- turf? Carroll has got a frustration with it. I've not heard many others. I've and heard I, some people that are really hate field turf, which well, always surprises there's, me. There's some, you know, and like new field turf is just too spongy, right? And it's too, like, mm. there, there's a, probably a certain level where there's, it's an ideal. But you would think they'd be able to, to get that done. And that, that field, for whatever purpose, you roll it out, sits in the sunshine, and then you roll it in. You roll it out. Oh, look at it. It's in the sunshine. You roll it in for whatever reason. And Bumpus said it. It did. It felt, felt like the field in Germany, like a soccer field. Yeah. that just was so thin. No matter what the cleats were, those guys were slipping and sliding, <laughs> and that was a no-go. Takeaways. All right, my uh, my last little thought here. I got a few others, but we're up against it. Remember that rain delay in the 2016 World Series? If you read the Cubs' way, great book mm-hmm. uh, that they wrote on Theo and some of the background, and they say that rain delay broke the curse. That rain delay saved the game. That rain delay gave those guys an opportunity to get in there and 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 really just air it out and just hold each other accountable. And they go out and the Cubs win and break the curse and everything else. That 29-minute halftime did wonders. And this is where I do think an experience. And I know Philly, I'm sure, Mike, because this is what all teams do the day before, 
a couple days before they work through situations, they practice, and then they go take a 29 minute break. And then you come back and practice, but it's one thing to do it in practice. It's another to do it in reality. The chiefs have been there. A bunch of those players, Kelsey and Jones and Mahomes and crew have been there for three of them. And they know what that situation was like. And to a man, they all said it afterwards. It gave us a chance, like Jason Hayward did with the Cubs, to hold each other accountable and to get in each other's face and to say enough's enough. If it was a 10-minute halftime like they are in the regular season, I don't know if the Chiefs come back and put together that effort. Mm -hmm. I don't know if they put together all of those plans and make all of those adjustments and have all of that time to say, okay, this is now what we've got to get back to. So I think that (laughs) 29-minute halftime, big advantage to the Chiefs. little assist to Rihanna. Someone that had been there and done it before and knew how to maximize that time. All right, I got one last question for you. Takeaway. Real quick, who'd you rather have, A.J. Brown or D.K. Metcalf? Mm, They're the same guy, man. No, they're not. Uh, Yeah, they are. No, they're not. Both of them are not tremendous getting in and out. Both of them do not have elite hands. Both of them know how to use their body. D.K.'s, yeah... I think there's I think that's honestly what is what's the line six and one half dozen the other? Like I, I think they're that similar. I just think AJ Brown with the contested catches. Hurts has all day loaded up, taking a shot, looking for AJ Brown. He's got it! Touchdown! I don't know, it's close. I think it's, it's that's why I threw it out here as a debate. Yeah. And I love DK. It's certainly not a shot at him. But Brown just does so much of what DK does. Plus, I think he makes more of those contested catches, takes fewer penalties. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It, it'd be a close yeah, one. That's true. But if I have to start ranking them, I think I'm going to put AJ just a just a hair above DK, but you're right. Very similar. All right, there you go. That's a full set of takeaways from uh, the Super Bowl yesterday. Everything from the commercials to the halftime show to the game that was played and everything in between. Uh, good stuff, Brock. That's always Best fun. Best thing you ate? Best thing I ate? You said layered up? No, my potato skins. Really? Yeah, we made potato skins in the air fryer. I like the best marshmallow Rice Krispie treat thing that I've ever, I ever tasted in my life. I think she browned the butter. Because it had a little bit of a, so good. bro, it, and then she put sprinkles on top. It had a little bit of salt with sweet, and then the biggest, gooeyest marshmallows. You know, you know, oh. who, you know who's who's a great baker is our friend Shannon Dreyer, and Shannon makes a brown. I got to remember what it is. It's a brown mm. butter blondie. Yeah, Shannon makes. She will yeah. bake a what? brown butter blondie. What that is, is that? It is one of the best things I've ever had. It is a tremendous dessert. I know. Shannon will blow your mind, man. She's awesome. And she will bake a brown butter blondie that we should try to convince her to make at spring training. A triple B? Because it's that good. It's pretty awesome. All right. Two weeks away from spring training. I want to play you some sound next that was the worst and perhaps most confusing minute of my weekend. That's coming up. Brock and Salk. Seattle Sports on 710. SeattleSports.com.